It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a magic marker. A, a felt pen. It's a mistake. It's a trap. It's a fucking comedy. It's quiet. Maybe too quiet. It's all happening. It's a good day to die. It's a good day to talk about movies. Welcome back. It is a good day to talk about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I am your host, Duncan. Joining me as always is Gardner. Welcome back, folks. And joining us today to discuss his choice in film is friend of the pod, Derek. Derek, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, guys. It's an honor and a pleasure. Of course. Derek is the host of his own podcast, I Know You Podcast. Derek, do you want to tell our audience a little bit about your show? Uh, yeah. It's called I Know You with Derek and Jamie. Comes out every other Tuesday. And on it, we each uh, each episode, we review a movie and then play some mini games. So go check us out anywhere you find podcasts. Awesome. Before we go any further, a quick reminder on our podcast. We talk about movies we love and interview independent filmmakers. Every Friday, we release a full episode, usually with a guest, where we often interview independent filmmakers there. Every Wednesday or Thursday, we also have a bonus episode we release, which usually focuses on a new TV show, a new movie, or something relevant. This is this week's full episode, where we're going to be discussing Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse shortly. Last week, we did a full episode where we discussed The Beach Bum. If you missed that, check it out. We also released a bonus episode two days ago, where we discussed The Dark Knight Rises with our friends from Status Effect Podcast. Be sure to check out Status Effect if you missed that, and check out our episode as well. That bonus episode wrapped up our miniseries on the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. So if you missed any of those in that miniseries, all of those episodes are out now to be listened to. So Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was released in 2018. It was written by Phil Lord and Rodney Rothman and was directed by Rothman, Bill Persichetti, and Peter Ramsey. It's an animated film done by Sony Pictures Imageworks and it stars Shamik Moore, Jake Johnson, Haley Steinfeld, Mahershala Ali, Brian Tyree Henry, Lily Tomlin, Luna Lauren Velez, Zoe Kravitz, John Mulaney, Kimiko Glenn, Nicolas Cage, Catherine Hahn, Liev Schreiber, and Chris Pine. The film was very well received, being considered by many to be one of the best comic book movies ever, animated or live action. But enough of that, let's get to what we think about the film. We're going to start with opening thoughts, but first I want to do a quick spoiler warning. This podcast will contain spoilers for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. If you do not want Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse from 2018 spoiled, stop listening now, go watch it, then get back to us later. For everyone else, that was your spoiler warning. So Derek, you picked this movie, and we always like to let our guests go first with their initial thoughts, but can you kick us off with your broad thoughts on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and also tell us what made you pick this out of all the movies in the world to bring to us today? Yeah, so I decided to pick Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse because the week prior, I watched Morbius, and that is one of the worst films related to Spider-Man, and I decided why not watch one of the best films related to Spider-Man. So that's why I picked Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, because I do believe that this is one of the best films about Spider-Man, if not the best. It's definitely my favorite. The animation is beautiful, mixing elements of 2D and 3D animation. The film just looks like a comic book brought to life. 
with the Benday dots, the multi panels, speech bubbles, all that great stuff. The cast is amazing and huge. You listed them all out there and just kept going and going. Each one gives a great performance. The performances make all the characters feel real and unique, and each is given their own personality. And most of them are giving their own meaningful arcs as well. And the music is outstanding. Both the soundtrack and the score get me pumped. I run to What's Up Danger every week. It's such a good song. I just love this movie. I love Spider-Man. There you go. Awesome. Gardner, what are your broad thoughts on Into the Spider-Verse? I I just want to echo everything Derek just said. I mean, Spider-Man is my favorite superhero. And this is just like the 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 quintessential spider-man movie for me it just it hits all the notes of of what spider-man is about and then everything else layered on top of it like you said derek the animation the soundtrack uh, i even think the, the the score outside of the soundtrack is really fantastic here and the, the performances are just terrific um there's really nothing that I could say bad about this movie. I mean, a lot of people are going to dismiss it and knock it because it's animated. And I don't know that this movie really would have worked uh, nearly as well if it was in any other format. The imagination and whimsy that is created through the visual style here just drives home the themes and everything so much more. I just have uh, such a good time with this movie and I hadn't really seen it since I saw it in theaters and I remember really liking it. And now I don't know why I didn't come back to it, uh, you know, more times since then, because I just had such a great time rewatching it for this episode. Just like last week, we're going to have another week where we all love this film. I remember seeing it in theaters because there was so much hype around it. I went with a friend of mine and I actually dragged my mom as well. Um, I don't know why she wanted to see it, but she was down to see it. And uh, she came with us. And everything you guys said is true. I mean, the cast is phenomenal. The artwork is amazing. It's so well done when it comes to the soundtrack. And I'm going to go ahead and say I think it's the best Spider-Man film. I'm more of a Batman guy myself. I'm not in the Spider-Man camp. I mean, he's up there for me. Obviously, when we were growing up before the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it was Batman and Spider-Man in film and then X-Men as well, basically. And then you obviously you get like your daredevils and your blades and stuff like that. But the ones that are really being made and that are getting rebooted immediately are the Batmans and the Spider-Mans and Superman as well, I would say. But Superman's always kind of that third one where it's like not only do movies not know how to do do like handle him. I also feel like comic book fans don't know how to view him because of this all like godly powers type situation. So people, I think, end up being more interested in characters like Batman and Spider-Man. But those would be your big three. Anyway. I'm more of a Batman guy. Spider-Man, though, has always been there, you know, just like for everyone. And this one just blew me out of the water. I was, I don't want to say shocked because it's not like I was like expecting it to be shitty or anything, but I was impressed by how well done it actually was, even with all the hype. Like it was being hyped as like one of his best superhero movies in general. Like I said, not just animated, but superhero movies in general. And I think for a while it was like sitting at 100 on Rotten Tomatoes even too. Like I think it was one of those movies that when it first drops, like it's got, it stays at 100 for a little bit. And so it had a lot of hype around it. And I was like, all right, I got to see this. And that could lead to a lot of disappointment. And it did not whatsoever. It like hit like exactly as hard as everyone said it would. I was blown away. 
again, I want to say the cast is phenomenal, like just very well cast and they all do a great job and they're having fun. Nicolas Cage is the best example of that, obviously. But, you know, give him more superhero stuff. He wants to do it and he's fun in everything he does anyway. So I don't see why. What's the the loss there? And I love Jake Johnson as well. I mean, the whole cast, I'm, I could just go down top to bottom, but like Jake Johnson's a personal favorite and Nicolas Cage is Nicolas Cage. So obviously I was going to stand out. But I do want to say that I think it's smart also because you're playing with fire when you have so many Peter Parker fans and we know how people react and comic book fans react when you try to do a new character and when you try to do something that's out of the ordinary for a character. And I think it was clever of them to include Peter Parker in it in that sense. But I also think it says how great this movie was that it was just everyone immediately embraced it. No one was like, oh, Peter Parker this, Peter Parker that. It was like, Miles Morales, motherfucker. We're in, you know? So I just want to echo everything I said. Great, great movie. I can't wait to talk about it. And uh, yeah, down to the sound and animation, everything about it's amazing. Yeah, I got to agree that we need Nick, more Nicolas Cage and superhero stuff. Bring him back as Superman. We almost did it once. Let, let's get him back. Death of Superman lives. Let's go. I'm here for it. Well, now, have, have, have either of y'all seen Ghost Rider? Uh, yeah, I've seen them both. dude. Yeah. OK, are they any good? I've never watched them. I mean, it's Nick Cage, right? I haven't seen them since theaters. I did see a, one of those revisionist posts recently where it was like, we didn't give Ghost Rider 2 enough credit. And I was like, are we doing this with every movie now? I don't know. I couldn't tell you if it's good or bad. I guarantee you it's got some fun to it because Nick Cage playing a comic book role and he's playing a character who is literally a guy whose skull goes on fire and rides a flaming bike. So how is that not going to work in some ways, right? But I couldn't tell you because I really was, I think, around like a teenager when it came out. So I know I went to the theaters with my dad to see it, so... At least the first one in theaters. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably watch it anyway because I enjoyed watching The Wicker Man, you know, just purely <laughs> because of the charisma of Cage's performance. So I'll probably enjoy it. But anyway, a digression. I wanted to talk about Miles and how just instantly likable he is. And like you were saying, Duncan, it's a big risk to make a Spider-Man movie that's not doesn't have Peter Parker as the main character. And Miles Morales is, is, is a very popular character um, in the comic world for, for comic fans. But making that transition to the big screen, I'm sure, was a was a leap of faith for the for the Sony execs. And my God, is he fantastic in this? He's just he's he is he embodies those core principles of Spider-Man, you know, optimism and honesty and being true to your word and bravery and I love his journey through here. I love his dynamic with Peter B. Parker, you know, how they help each other out and help each other shape up going towards the end of the film. It's not uh, anything groundbreaking narratively, but it is just so, so, so well executed. I agree. Like from the first scene, when we see Miles just sitting in his room, listening to his music, sketching in his uh, sketchbook, and just like he's singing along to the song, but he doesn't know all the words. And we've, and we've all been there. So it's just from the get go, you just relate to this kid and like and he's late for school. We've all done that, too. And we've all been late. And here we go. Like, I love how they just get us to connect with Miles from the get go. And while they do start with, like you say, they start with Peter Parker in the opening. And he says at the end, I'm the one and only Spider-Man. And it immediately cuts to Miles to tell him, like, Nope, here's the next Spider-Man. Get ready for it. And just like you said, the relationship between him and Peter B, the way like he kind of they kind of become like a father-son, maybe brother-brother situation. And 
the way it comes out in the end in the climax where Peter B's just like, wait, do I want kids? Like kind of you see him go through that arc and to have it like pay off in that way. It uh, chef's kiss. It's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. I mean, the character is great, I think. And I haven't read any of the comics, but I do think that he was like well, the one thing that they kept from the ultimate universe i believe they were like oh everyone loves him but they hate the ultimate universe and they were like all right let's keep him and they did one of those comic book things where they brought him over into a different one i believe that's my understanding of it at least but in the movie at least yeah i think he's more likable than peter parker has been in any of his films at least i would say and maybe that's easier to do when it's a animated character and maybe it's easier because he's a little younger too. Like he's actually looks like he's young, like this young character, which Tom Holland actually has a young face for sure, but he isn't a high schooler, right? None of those characters are high schoolers. None of those actors are high schoolers. So it's something that sticks out still. And I mean, Hollywood does it, whatever. But I think that might have part to do with it where it's like this innocence is more believable or more natural on a young kid who really does seem to be learning his way and it feels like the tenets of spider-man and the things that spider-man goes through and stands for work better on this aged person or at least this seemingly aged person because he has been aged the same in other things i guess or around the same age in other things but he doesn't look that way at least you know toby mcguire wasn't a high schooler when he was playing that character either but I mean, yeah, then someone has also pointed out in like posts in the past, like, you know, Spider-Man does grow up at some point. Like we all the movies don't have to be about a young Spider-Man, especially when you're going to be casting adults. So that's just a, a side note on the um, live action films. But I do think that that is there's something to be said about Miles connecting more because of the age potentially and just because it's a, it's a well-written story and, and he is very genuine and he his relationships with other characters are very genuine, too. And Shamik Moore's vocal performance he sounds like a like a 14 or 15 year old kid and it, it just meshes so well with the artist rendition of miles morales i keep saying morales morales uh, in this film like it just it makes it so much more believable that he is that age and everyone can relate to being that age and and feeling awkward and and you know i love the scene where he gets his hands stuck on on gwen's hair and he's stumbling around and talking about puberty and uh just everything works together to really sell this character and make you kind of instantly fall in love with him yeah that scene is like it it the from the beginning of it just like trying to talk to someone you have a crush on it just like you connect right there and just when he put the hand on the shoulder and tries to do the hey and it just does not go his way at all and then it, and it's a callback it sets up a callback to later when she has the new hairdo and he's like i like your hairdo and she's like you don't get to like my hairdo i feel like a lot of the film there's a lot of that in the film where there's a lot of setups and callbacks both in like the humorous moments and the emotional moments all which just like work perfectly to just make you really feel like you're connected to the film yeah, Lord and Miller. Actually, I I don't who was it? Uh, was it only Phil Lord that worked on this movie? So that's what I was actually confused about because I had always heard about it called a Lord and Miller film, and he wasn't credited in when I was looking at it. Was he? Was he a producer? Maybe because they, you know, they're like a team, and and their fingerprints are are all over this. Yeah, he's a producer on it, but he's not a writer or a director. And okay. He didn't do the story. Okay. Right. Nevertheless, a producer would still have a lot of input on uh, story and execution and stuff like that, even if they don't get credited in those departments. So I think we can say 
safely say Lord and Miller. Um, and this is not to take credit away from, you know, the people who actually did the screenplay and actually directed the film, but you know, their style is definitely here. And um, it's, it's something that I wasn't sure was going to transfer well, you know, because they're kind of known for like the, the 21 jump street movies. And that those are like raunchy R rated comedies. Well, I guess they proved them. I'm forgetting about the Lego movie. They proved themselves with the Lego movie. So then going into this one, it's like, okay, yeah, we're going to take a lot of like the same stylistic elements without rehashing them. It, it never feels formulaic, uh, even though this is like a Spider-Man origin story with like a bunch of Spider-Man. It, it still feels like completely fresh and new, which is something I think they're really good at. So we can talk a little bit about the story now, what actually happens in the film. It obviously starts with Miles not as Spider-Man yet. And like you said, Gardner, it opens up with Peter B. saying he's the one and only Spider-Man. Was that Derek that said that? Yeah, I thought maybe. And it opens with Miles following Spider-Man into a portal battle, basically. And this is where he gets bit by the radioactive spider. And this is where it also leads to the rest of the film, which is everyone else coming through into this universe. And um, he watches the original Spider-Man die in the, in the opening scene. And that's pretty cool, actually, because it's like something you get to play with when you're doing the Spider-Verse. You can, it's like, why not kill the original one? Because to us, we don't know him. The original one can be Peter B., right? So that's cool. And um, it's prowler right um and green Gob- goblin that are that he's fighting as well as i guess kingpin as well yeah it's 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 the three of them yeah yeah and uh that's the beginning of it obviously this is where he gets bit by the spider and then so he turns into spider-man there well well he gets bit when he's tagging with uncle aaron yeah so the i love the scene where he gets bit by the spider because like you said it's it's i feel like it's the first time maybe not the first time but like one of the biggest moments where we see like the true miles, just him completely un like laced, just doing what he wants to do. He puts up, like you said, he tags that spot, puts up his great artwork, the no expectations, like going along with the themes of the film. And all the while the spider just keeps creeping closer and closer and closer. And you know, what's going to happen. And then as it bites them, you see like the comic book again, comes to life where the multi panels come in, some 2d animation comes in showing, how the venoms affected his DNA instantly. And then a bit of comedy right after that with Miles, just no reaction, just smacking it right off his hand, not even caring and, and walking out just that whole scene, just the way it builds and you know, what's happening coming after, but you, Miles doesn't. So that's just like adds to the enjoyment. Yeah. The dramatic irony is done really well here with the audience knowing what's going to happen. And we're just like waiting to see what Miles reaction is going to be. I also love how they tease us a bunch of times with the spider getting close and then, you know, getting knocked back because Miles isn't paying attention. He grabs the paint can and flicks the lid off or something like that. And the spider has to keep coming back. And then, yeah, getting to like, you expect that moment where the venom enters his body to be some like crazy thing and his powers, he starts to feel his powers and everything. And now he just smacks it, walks away. And then that comes in later at just the worst possible time because of course it does. And I love how this also does a really great job of, like you said, Derek, showing us the real miles, uh, what his personality is, 
what he loves to do and um sets up the the tragic arc of his relationship with uncle aaron who is is a great character and and also lets us know right off the bat to the the sort of friction there between miles's father and miles and uncle aaron and that kind of fraught relationship between the three of them which ends up being like the emotional core of the film I would say. I mean, you could say that it it is the relationship between Peter B and uh, Miles. I would say maybe that's like the emotional core of like the Spider-Man part of the movie. But like the Miles part of the movie has more to do with his relationship with his father. Yeah, the the way he, uh, his father is portrayed in this, like, like I said in the beginning, every character gets their own little arc and his father gets one as well. Where at the beginning he wants... He says, I love you to him. And he drives him to school, but he wants him to say it back. He like he even goes over his speaker, says, you got to say it back, embarrassing him. And then it, it comes back around, set up callback, where he's given the emotional speech later in the film to his son. And he's just like, I love you. I just wanted you to know you don't have to say it back. And you see even he's growing. And it's because of what happened with Uncle Aaron and Miles that he's kind of gotten to this place. And I completely agree that that is the emotional core uh, that really drives this film. And I think it's important that the dad is always trying and he's not meaning to be like annoying and he's not meaning poorly at all from the get go. He just needs to learn that, you know, to give his son a little bit of space and that he's dealing with a teenager and that it's a stressful time in his life, stuff like that. Small stuff, really, because he's he's not in any big way a bad dad by any stretch of the imagination he's and i like that about it i like that it's showing that there's tension for sure but it's more of like it's a phase kind of you know that's that, like it's not a phase mom but it is like in this sense here where he's a teenager and he's going he's going through an awkward phase and like you said gardner it does show that in cool ways like with the hair stuff and stuff like that um for example but it's a tough time in his life and whatever it's a weird time in everyone's life and that's kind of the stressor i feel like and it's more of both of them trying to figure out how to deal with that than it is again like ever it being even a small inkling of him being a bad dad which i think is cool and it's like yeah he's closer with his uncle because he's like the cool uncle but then you see at the end like who's really the good guy here out of out of the two of them it's the dad you know and that's not to diss uncle aaron but i mean he is the prowler you know i mean he was literally trying to kill his nephew a couple times throughout the film. So like, yeah, 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 not not really comparable there. Yeah, he earned that disc. <laughs> that the scene when um, Miles returns back to Uncle Aaron's apartment to like leave a note, just like because he just needs to find somebody. He needs to find some like safety net. And and Uncle Aaron's apartment was always that safety net that he could return to. And when he gets there, is leaving the note, and the prowler comes in, and he thinks he's in danger. And then, or, and then, and then when he realizes that the prowler is uncle Aaron, like his whole world is just shattered. Just like the person he trusted most in the world is also the person he's most afraid of. And he doesn't, and now he has no one to turn to like the spider people just abandoned him somewhat. And he can't turn to his dad because his dad hates Spider-Man. And, and now uncle Aaron is tr literally trying to kill him and he just has nothing left. And then he, he the film even takes more from him by literally taking Uncle Aaron, like the next scene, uh, when he discovers that Miles is the new Spider-Man and can't 
uh, luckily can't go through with killing him. I love that moment um, where it's kind of like we, you know, nobody's all bad. There's, there's always been that kind of optimism in, in Spider-Man and the fact that Aaron, you know, takes, takes one for the team, takes the bullet for miles as kind of like his act of redemption really well done. And I, I mentioned the score earlier, the, the score in that scene where, I mean, I guess it's like the Prowler's theme, the loud, aggressive scent that comes through when he's hiding behind the TV is just so spooky. I wish I could watch this in a theater again, because I'm sure that that like shook the seats. Imagine being like eight years old. Like, I bet that actually like was like a legitimately scary scene to a lot of people. I just think the way that they handled the Prowler in this is so good. It was definitely the right choice. His design is just awesome, too. I thought the design of like some of the other characters is like a bit silly. And of course it is. It's like a cartoon uh, and they're not like the main focus. But he just looks so rad. Are you talking about like Green Goblin? I'm talking about Scorpion specifically. Mm. Goblin didn't bother me too much. Kingpin is like, I think that's like a great example of like a very cartoonish design. I don't know. I think is that how Scorpion is in the comics? Does he have like robotic legs and shit like that? Is he like on his Darth Maul? No, like normally he's just like in more in like a smaller mech suit with like a big tail. Um, I'm not sure about the ultimate comics. Maybe that's more ultimate Scorpion. But yeah, that one did seem a little bit too much, but he's not in the film a lot. And so it didn't really bother me. And then, like I said, I love Kingpin's design. Just he takes up so much of the screen every time he's on it. And I think there's like a couple shots where it's literally just like his entire body takes up the screen and it's just his head in like in the middle of the frame. And it just reinforces how imposing this dude is. And even though, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. They kind of show him getting out of a car. I'm like, there's no way he fits in that car that like that doesn't work. But you don't care because you're just you're so enthralled with everything else that's going on. And also the um, the motive they give to Kingpin is so good. Like he's not in it to like gain money or get power or anything like that. He just he lost his family and he just wants him back. And it's a motive I feel like most people would be able to understand or at least sympathize with somewhat. So they created another just really three dimensional and well-defined villain. So Peter B. and Miles go to the lab and are trying to get some data and they have to flee Dr. Ock, Doc Ock. And this is where we get the other spider people when they get saved in the, as they're running through the forest and spider Gwen saves them and brings them back and reveals that there's a bunch of other spider people with them, which is obviously we all knew that going into the film, but still cool. That's such a great scene. I love Aunt May in this movie. Uh, she's got like the uh, like spider cave in her backyard and they go down there and um, I don't know, just uh, 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 spider ham makes me laugh every time he's on screen. I'm glad they included that character and John Mulaney's uh, uh, voice, you know, just seals the deal even even more so there. Yeah. John Mulaney as spider ham, I think, is the most inspired piece of casting in superhero films ever, like because I, I feel like that's a character that might have could have very easily pushed this film like way too far to the silly side, but somehow he makes it work where like, even when he has like emotional lines and more serious lines, even though it's coming from a pig, a cartoon pig, you believe it, you empathize with it. And Nicolas Cage 
in that scene. I just love that when they first introduce him and Peter B's like, wait, is that wind? Where Where is wind coming from? We're in a basement. And he's like, where I go, the wind follows and the wind, it smells like rain. And you just love that like hard-boiled detective, like 1920s detective era kind of like voice he's got going throughout the entire thing. And Nick Cage, he's giving it his all. He's like, he's not holding back. I was actually watching some of the bonus features last night and they with the directors apparently nick cage like gave their first couple lines and they're like um could you go full cage and he's like oh you want me to go full cage i'll go full cage for you and that's what we get in this film and i love it yeah the the other spider people are used and just like the the perfect amount too like like you were saying duncan like spider ham could push it too far into being silly oh wait is that derek god damn it we keep doing this like you were saying, Derek, like Spider-Ham could have been used too much and it would have pushed the movie too far into like the silliness factor. Like it would have uh, kind of upset the balance of tones, but the, everyone was just used like just sparingly enough to, to make an impression, but not overwhelm the story. Because I'm sure that was a big concern when they were going through the development process of this movie is how are we going to balance all of these Spider-People? And they fucking did it. Yeah, I think that Spider-Ham is the silly in the right way in this, and it works perfectly in it. So, like you were saying, it could have been, but it definitely works, and part of that is definitely the voice. But overall, I think it's the way they're all used, like you were saying, that they're used in the right ways and the right amounts, and they have the right casting for them, and they know what they're doing with them. They knew that they should get all full cage, and uh, they were right. Yeah, I agree. Every uh, Like Garner said, they're used sparingly, but every spider person gets their moment to shine. Like they each either have like a moment in one of one or both of the fight scenes, or they get some really good lines. I love how they give spider pig one of the most emotional lines in the film, which is like the hardest part about this job is you can't save them all. And I just completely agree where I, you, a a lot of the Spider-Man's issues, a lot of the other Spider-Man's films issues is that they put in too many characters from like the Spider-Man mythos and they couldn't do a good job balancing it. So knowing that you're going into a film with like six spider people, six villains, like how are they all going to balance this out? And I could definitely see how people would be worried about it, but the way they pulled it off is just, it's breathtaking. And I can't wait for the sequel, honestly. Two sequels. They're doing a part one and a part two, baby. That's right. Trilogy time. Why not just make it two and three at that point? I mean, they must be super connected. Yeah, yeah well, they're, they're going with a different subtitle. It's uh, Across the Spider-Verse. You know, we went into it now for, for the first movie, and then now we're going to go explore it, I guess. Or it came to us. I don't, that's kind of funny. They call it Into the Spider-Verse. But Spider-Verse comes to Miles. And now, now we're going to go explore it in the future. I, I can't wait either. I think it's going to be fantastic. I mean, if they really drop the ball, it's going to be very disappointing. It's not going to ruin this movie because this movie's, you know, basically perfect. Uh, and you can always just watch this one. But I feel like it's in good hands. And who knows? Maybe we'll see Miles Morales even earlier than that in May. Oh, oh, you think so? I oh. said, who knows? You never know. You never know. I'm not calling any shots in the uh, in the trailer for for that for uh, Doctor Strange. I actually not sure if you guys saw. I was wearing a Doctor Strange shirt right now. Yeah, little guy going on there. Oh, nice. I like how we both like sat up as if we could like look <laughs> over something to see it. <laughs> no, uh, like I watched those like trailer breakdowns that like go through every single frame of a trailer to like try to pick out things. And if you see a one where they're kind of going through different multiverses, you see that there is a cartoon 
world it looks like they're exiting from at one point so that could be just like their own version like i mean there's so many different animated spider-mans you don't and animated marvel stuff that could be anything but this is one of their biggest things right now so seems like some connective tissue and you got sam raimi directing you know he's known for spider-man so it makes sense Mm -hmm. it's all coming together where were we on the plot (laughs) i think we keep jumping around i got totally lost I think we were just into uh, where they were saved by Gwen from the uh, lab and then met the new spider people. So I think after that is like when they try to grill like Miles to see if he's like up to the task, up to the mantle of Spider-Man. And like in that moment, like it's just all overwhelming, all the expectations and pressure he's under. It just gets too much. And he just, he literally is like, I can't take it. And he just like removes himself from the situation. And you just, it's, it's heartbreaking to see because I mean, they're just trying to help him, but they're all just throwing so much at him. And it's been like a day or two since he got bit and also saw the other Spider-Man die. So like he has so much going through his head and Peter B is the only one who's trying to like calm people down. Like, Hey, let's, let's give him a break, but it just doesn't work. And it's too much. And he just has to get out of there. And I think what ends up being like Miles's solution to that is well foreshadowed in the previous scene where uh, Peter B is teaching him how to swing and he's giving him all these different directions. And he's like, you're giving me too much. And he goes, then don't listen to me just do it. You know, which is kind of like it, the same thing happens later when he's, he's being berated by all the different spider people. And he's, and then he's like, I can't, you know, I've got to make the leap of faith. I can't, I can't just listen to them and try to do exactly what they're telling me I need to do. I got to just go and do it and be my own Spider-Man. And right after they reject him and say that he's not up to fit for training, this is when he tries to go to Uncle Aaron. And this is when he finds out that he's the Prowler. Right, right. And then he, he gets, and then Aaron sees him. They do the chase. He escapes. He goes back to the spider people. And then that's when they have the big fight that destroys Aunt May's house and her whole neighborhood. Right. Was, and Uncle Aaron dies. Yeah. Um, that that fight scene, the way it begins, just with like Aunt May just pleading with him, can we please just take this outside? And the Spider-Man Noir's perfect line of we don't pick the ballroom, we just dance. And, and it's that's such an energetic fight scene. And the way it just jumps back forth, like in between the different spider people, usually following the um the little goober, the little flash drive they have all around and like each again each spider person gets their own little moment to shine i love how penny parker how she does the like anime jump into her mech even though they're in like a room with like only eight foot high ceilings and she somehow jumps like 20 feet into the air does does a bunch of spins and like comes crashing into the mech to start it i love how they just have all these different callbacks and references to everything like everything yeah they really leaned into the different possibilities that each character provided them with and i love how they were like okay we've got penny parker let's just go like super anime with it and just that's why you know animation was the perfect vehicle for this story is because it allows them to go big and just have these crazy set pieces. And this is, yeah, this is, uh, this might be like one of the most fun scenes in the movie up until the point where it gets really sad, but it's, it's so much fun to watch. So this leads directly into the final battle where we have Miles' dad is chasing them because he thinks that Spider-Man is the killer because he arrives at the scene of the crime and sees Miles fleeing. And then, um, well, before that, we have the moment where Miles is in his dorm room and uh, Peter B and Gwen come to see him 
and uh, they take the goober away and tie him up. And then we get that really great scene between or just one sided of Miles father coming up to the door and, and giving that speech. And uh, it's just so beautiful. And like we talked about his art earlier in the film, but it's like you said, Duncan, like he was never a bad father. He just needed to kind of learn a little bit to, to back off and give his son some space and uh, show his love in like a different way, like a not so oppressive way. And uh, I just think it's it's fantastic. It's tragic that the, the catalyst had to be, you know, losing Aaron, but it, it gives meaning to his death in in multiple ways that you know ripples out throughout the characters in the film other than just being like ooh tough moment for miles you know yeah that 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 scene with uh, uh miles's dad giving the speech to the door basically like hits me every time tears every time like i've seen this film i don't know at least 6 maybe 7 times and you think after this time, like, you know, the emotional beats, you think it wouldn't hit you as hard. But every single like it just the way like um, the way his voice kind of breaks when he says like something happened and you just know, like he's having trouble getting through it. Like he can't even say like he's having trouble getting through to just say the words, let alone try to reach his son. And like that and that leads to into the, like what I think is my favorite uh, sequence or scene in the movie, which I like to call like the what's up danger slash leap of faith scene where like he like you said he escapes being tied up using his uh, venom strike and then he goes back to the spider cave to meet at may to like you know get his suit suit up and then i actually didn't notice this until this viewing the end of that scene where he jumps across a building that's the same building he tried to jump across at the beginning of the film but that like he trips and falls down so like i said set up callback like this film's all about that and to kind of show like he's here now like he's made it he is spider-man at that moment and like honestly just talking about it now i'm getting a little bit of chills just like because i love that scene so much and i can just watch that scene by itself and just be like that's the movie that is spider-man here we go yeah it's incredible how tight the screenplay is it's just like you know they should show this in in screenwriting classes because it hits all those beats with such efficiency and it it sets up everything. Nothing it sets up ever feels like it doesn't pay off or is like extraneous. This is a lean, mean fighting machine of a movie. And then, of course, we do go into that final battle, which is just spectacular. And um, we get we get a lot of great Kingpin action here. I do think Kingpin's motivation is you can understand it, but at the same time, I mean, he's still the villain. I'm like, dude, this is your fault, you know? And I think part of it is he can't accept that it's his fault and he's projecting onto Spider-Man the whole time. But I, I do like that he's not just trying to like, you know, get power or destroy the world for no reason or anything like that. It's, it's, this is a very personal movie and, and family is a massive uh, motif throughout and i like that they stuck with that with the villain's motivation as well almost like a uh like a dark reflection of miles dad trying to hold on to his on onto his son and, and that idea of of family that they have between them and him learning the positive lesson and, and kingpin not learning his lesson so now that we have talked about it we've gotten through the entire plot do you guys want to bring up any overarching things we haven't really talked about doc ock that much in this film and the gender swap of Doc Ock, I'm not sure if that's uh, something that has been done in the comics. I'm sure it has this, like there's a multiverse in the comics. I'm sure they've there's a female Doc Ock. But like the reveal of it and then the way like how she can both be like 
extremely like kind of like nerdy and silly and awkward but at the same time like completely intimidating like i feel like all comes through katherine han's performance and just the animation on the character and i love the design of her tentacles they're not the typical just like metal arms that we've seen in the past they almost are like inflated yet they're still just as like tensile and strong and the way that she is i'm gonna say killed in the film because there's no way she's alive after like being hit by a semi-truck that comes through like a multiverse they don't address it she's not like hanging up in the webs with kingpin at the end and just like they're all like it's a it's a perfect superhero moment because it's like all right here they go they're teaming up about to take on the powerful doc ock and then just the semi comes out of nowhere just smacks right into her and the expression on peter b's uh mask i guess not his face just the, the mouth the hand over the mouth the huge eyes just like oh yeah that she's done she's that's it all right okay cool well next on to the next villain and uh all the the goodbyes in the climax i feel like it's just to, to have like a like a slow down moment a moment of calm and a moment of peace in that like just chaos of a climax is honestly incredible like i don't know and it, that it doesn't like really slow down the momentum of the film and they give each character a meaningful goodbye with miles and therefore the audience it's it's, it's all inspiring honestly and spider-man noir he goes back with the rubik's cubes and he's rubik's cube and he actually says i love you to them which if you listened earlier like during his intro he there's a quick line about how he says you have to bottle up your emotions to like deal with the harsh realities of this crime fighting life and like again just all these characters get little arcs and just that line of him saying i love you guys is a little arc for him spider ham doesn't really get that much of an arc if anyone at all he's he has he's more of a comic relief and i love the line at the end where he says that's all folks and you hear jake johnson go can you say that like legally i love that little four, fourth wall break i think it's like the only one really in the film but I think it's just so perfect. And when we get back, and I love that the final battle with Kingpin is just Miles because it really hammers home that this is Miles's movie. It is like, has all these other spider people, but at the heart, it's Miles's story. It's his movie and he's got to be the one to save the day. And the way he does that with like, with the aid of his father, with the support of his father there, telling him to get back up and also using uh, the shoulder touch that he learned from uncle Aaron. It all comes back into that perfect moment where he venom strikes uh, Kingpin into the button and blows up the particle accelerator or portal machine, whatever it was called. Yeah. It had to be that way. I would have been really disappointed if it was all the Spider-Man teaming up or something like that. It had to be Miles doing this on his own, using the lessons that he's learned throughout the movie. I mean, that's just textbook and it's so well done. And like you said, with the goodbye scene, there's moments, you know, movies try to do that a lot where they have uh, some sort of tender moment in the middle of like the big climax. And uh, a lot of times I catch myself like yelling at the screen, like you don't have the time to be doing this right now. Like, for example, Dark Knight Rises, I didn't bring this up in our episode, but the moment where he's like, fixing the bomb to the bat plane or the bat wing or whatever so he can get it out of there and he's like 
stopping to talk to everybody and say his goodbyes. I'm like, bro, that thing is about to go off. You do not have time to do this right now. But it, it works. It works perfectly well here. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, I like Doc Ock a lot. She has this kind of she's unassuming and nerdy at the beginning, but that ends up being kind of like what makes her so scary is that she can look at like she's so clinical like that moment where she sits peter b down she's like i can't wait to watch this like as you die and like disintegrate you're like oh shit okay that's spooky and she just gets more intimidating from there i don't have any other broad thoughts i want to bring up uh, about the film i think we kind of touched on all like the main points that really make it amazing amazing spider-man but yeah yeah, all, all good stuff here. So if we've touched on everything, that means we can get into our final thoughts and our ratings. As always, we like to let our guests go first. So that means, Derek, you'll be going first with your final thoughts and your ratings. Here on GDT, we like to rate our movies out of 100, and it's bring your own unit. So you can make any unit that's related to the movie that we were talking about today. So that's up to you. A little twist on, on it. Put your spin on it. What are your final thoughts, and your rating of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So my final thoughts are that this is my favorite Spider-Man film. Um, it's all just all around great. There's nothing I really don't enjoy about this film. It's endlessly rewatchable. Um, it's a perfect love letter to the character of Spider-Man. Yet also, I would suggest this to even people who don't know Spider-Man as an introduction. Because when you watch this, after you watch this film, you know the character of Spider-Man and the many variations of it. And it also does a perfect job of literally showing one of like Spider-Man's core principles of like anyone can be behind the mask. And uh, knowing like the character of Spider-Man and seeing the previous movies really only just adds to the enjoyment. And as for my rating, I'd give this a 98 goobers out of 100. Son of a bitch stole my unit. <laughs> well, Gardner, you're on the spot now. You're going to have to think of one real quick. What is your rating and what are your final thoughts on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Yeah, like Derek said, I mean, this is one of the best superhero movies ever. Uh, it's, I would say, yeah, in terms of just like as a film, I would say this is probably the best Spider-Man movie. There's others that I might, you know, have a little more nostalgia for or have rewatched more. But I think uh, in terms of like the technical aspects and everything just kind of lining up to make a great movie watching experience, this is this is the one, you know, I could show this movie to anybody and be pretty sure that they're going to enjoy it. So all that being said, I'm going to give this movie 94 Stanley cameos out of 100. Uh, I just I just have an absolute blast with this movie and uh, R.I.P. Stanley. Awesome. So. I agree with you guys on pretty much everything. It's my favorite Spider-Man movie. I think it's the best Spider-Man movie. I do think that you have to be fair about that because you're doing different things when you're doing animation and when you're doing live action. So this isn't like a diss at the live action movies by any means, but I love it. The soundtrack is amazing. The cast is amazing. I love the characters. You fall in love with multiple of them. The relationships are great. I love it all. I'm going to give it 93 leaps of faith out of 100. As that closes our show, I'd like to thank you, Derek, for bringing this movie today and for joining us. We had a blast talking to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I had a blast coming on and talking about an amazing film. And hopefully maybe one day we'll be able to call you a recurring guest if you uh, have uh, the uh, the want to, to come back one day. Maybe we'll, we'll do another great film. Oh, definitely. Anytime. You guys just let me know. 
And don't forget to check out I Know You with Derek and Jamie anywhere you listen to podcasts. Since that's the end of the show, we also want to thank our fans. We do appreciate you. Thank you for sticking around to the end. Thank you for continuing to listen. And for all our new listeners, thank you for joining us. We hope you stick around. Remember, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find us anywhere by searching the letters G, D, T. And while you're there, subscribe to us and leave a five-star review as well. We really appreciate all our five-star reviews, and we like to read one on the podcast every Friday. This week, we have a five-star review from Kazuhiro. He says, great podcast, awesome job. Thank you, Kazuhiro. We appreciate it. That's very nice, man. Thank you. So like I said, make sure to leave us one of those and make sure to subscribe so you can follow along with all of our episodes. This was our full episode this week where we discussed Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Two days ago, we had a bonus episode, like I said at the top of the show, where we finished our mini-series on the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. We did The Dark Knight Rises two days ago, and a week before that, we did The Dark Knight, and a week before that, we did Batman Begins. So all of those episodes are available to listen now if you miss them. Next Wednesday, we have another bonus episode coming out where we are discussing the first season of Severance. That will be a full recap of the entire first season of Severance, which finished a couple weeks ago now. So you've had some time, but if you aren't caught up, get ready for that. Watch all those, binge it. Best show that's come out this year, in my opinion, but I don't want to spoil too much of our thoughts on it. But I would definitely try to get you guys hyped up for it because it's amazing. Read about what the concept is and tell me you don't want to watch it. That's all I can say. It's amazing. It delivers on the concept as well. So get excited for that. That comes out next Wednesday. Stick around for that and all of our future episodes. And in the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at GoodDataPod and on Facebook at GDT Podcast. Check us out there. Check out all our previous episodes. And we will talk to you again on Wednesday. Thanks for listening, folks. We love you. We'll see you on the next one.